0: Right. so when I was in high school, I read a book that was calling, because could probably read a book like this, was calling for more authentic, a more engaging, a more uh, compelling Christianity than the status quo in our country. And one thing that the author of this book called for specifically was that we love each other more. And to that, we can and should say yes, right? The New Testament calls us to love each other. We often fail to love each other. We need to grow in love for one another. Yes, for sure. But in this book, the author then went on to describe a time in his life when he went to live with, this is for real, he went to live with a bunch of hippies in the woods in Oregon. Can you just imagine that? And he just went on and on about how much this group of hippies loved each other. And... and, and And here's where he landed. Here was his his point, is we need to love each other more like the hippies love each other. Okay, church, we need to grow in love. That's true, and that will always be true. But our example is not a group of hippies in the woods of Oregon. And our example is not in any other love to be found in this world either. There's a lot of love in the world. But all the love that we see in the world is a distorted love. It's a distorted love. And if we're going to grow in the kind of love that is truly engaging and compelling and powerful, then we need to look beyond this world entirely. We need to look to the Creator who declares Himself to be the very definition of love. God is love, and He's the one that we need to see if we are going to grow in love for each other. You can open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Our passage this morning is Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. So we have reached the end of the first of three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. This has been like a its own series so far here in, in the midst of our bigger series through Matthew, following the fulfillment. But it's it's been it's been rich and and deep, and I believe the Lord has been working in our hearts as we've gone through this sermon and this chapter slowly. We're we're in the Sermon on the Mount, end of chapter five, and and here's where we are. Over the last several weeks, we've been listening to Jesus give instructions to his disciples about how to truly apply the Old Testament. You go back all the way to. Chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says that whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in those verses, Jesus calls his disciples to, he he tells them that that the Old Testament is not gone now that I've come. No, I fulfill the Old Testament and now as you see me fulfilling it, now you keep it truly and inwardly the way that God intended it to be kept because of my grace, because of what I've done. And so now in chapter 5, he's been going through example after example of here's Here's what you've heard the Old Testament says. Here's what you've heard of how it applies. But I'm telling you, here's what God has said. Here's how to live this out. And here's the picture that we've seen. This is the picture of that righteous life that Jesus has been calling us to. We're to put off anger in our hearts and pursue reconciliation. We are to put lust to death and pursue purity. We are to esteem the sacredness of marriage and remain faithful to our marriage covenants. We are to put off dishonesty and be people of absolute integrity. We are to refrain from retaliating and pursue the good of those who sin against us. This is just a small picture of the righteous life that Jesus calls us to live as his disciples. But listen, these are are just five examples. Five examples of teachings from the Old Testament that Jesus is instructing on. But that's five out of hundreds of Old Testament commandments. Now, Jesus could have just kept going through each one of those commandments, right? And we could do that. And we're going to be in this series for a long, long time. But here's the thing. What we need is not simply a catalog of do's and don'ts. Right? That was one of the problems that Jesus was addressing, is that that the entire system of keeping God's commandments had had, had been restricted to a set of rules, They can find loopholes in those rules, and Jesus Jesus is, is getting beyond that to the spirit of the law. And in this morning's final instruction, Jesus takes us to the very heart of what all the commandments point to. In this final section, it's not just one more example alongside the rest, but it's the climax of all the examples that Jesus has been giving. It gets to the very heart of all of God's commandments, and that heart is the commandments are a call to love. God's commandments are a call to love. This is what the law is about. The law of God is a call to love. As Paul said later in his letters, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love one another. Love is the innermost spirit of all the commandments of God. And in this final section, Jesus calls us to love. And yet we need to recognize that there are two kinds of love in this world. There's a love that is natural to us as sinful human beings. We're going to call that a distorted love. And then there's a love that is a supernatural work of grace in our hearts. We'll call that a divine love. And this morning, Jesus does not just call us to love. Jesus calls us out of this distorted love to be people who display the very love of God That's what Jesus is doing in this final passage. He's calling us out of distorted love to be people who display the love of God. So let's read our passage, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus calls us to put off distorted love and to put on divine love. And this morning, I want to answer three questions from this passage to help us see this call and to help us see how Jesus enables us to obey this call. And so first, what is the difference between distorted love and divine love? Let's just look at this passage and ask, what is distorted love? What is divine love? We'll start with distorted love you see it in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is Jesus referring to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. They, in in each of these sections that Jesus is referring to something that they have said, here's what God has said, here's what the Old Testament says, and they they are interpreting it to the people of their day. And every one of these has some sort of distortion in it, but here's the clearest picture of all of how they distorted the Old Testament teaching. The Old Testament teaching actually said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now look how that has changed. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's that's the teaching that was being given through their lips to the people. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Notice they take out as yourself and they add and hate your enemy. So so, so they take out the the primary focus of the passage, which is the quality of love that's to be given to your neighbor as your self-love. And then they add in this restrictive idea of, and hate your enemy. So love your neighbor and only your neighbor. That's what they're saying. And, and Jesus, as he's, as he's correcting this teaching, jumped down to verses 46 and 47. Because look what he says. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Hear what he's saying to the Pharisees and scribes. These are the religious leaders of Israel. These are the the elite. These are the respected. These are the holy ones. And he's saying, your love is no different than the tax collector's love. You're just loving those who love you. You're just loving those who love you back. And then to, to, to add insult to injury, in verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? To to, to the Israelites, to to say, you love just like the Gentiles do. That's like saying to the church this morning, you love just like the world loves, right? He's, He's getting at what they're teaching, and he's saying, you are no different than the rest of the world. You're no different than anyone else on this planet. You just love those who love you. You just love those who are like you. You just love those that you want to love. Jesus exposes their distorted love. What they are saying is not the kind of love that God has called them to and called us to. It's a distorted love. And here's how we could define distorted love. And I think this is important to understand. What is distorted love? Distorted love is a self-oriented love that demands to receive. Distorted love is a self-oriented love that demands to receive. You love those who love you. You love those who are like you. You love your neighbor, but not your enemy. It's a, it's a love that is turned inward on self. It's a love that is self-focused, self- oriented self-serving and this love demands to receive and if this love is not getting anything back then there's not going to be any more love coming from you it is about you and you only and this is the love that the pharisees had this is the love the tax collectors had this is the love the gentiles had this is this is the love that each one of us is born with in our sinful natures this is this is who we naturally are we are born bent toward a love that is self-oriented and demands to receive. And you realize that's, that's not really love at all. That's not really love at all. It just looks like love on the outside. Jesus says, no, that's not the kind of love that I'm calling you to. If you want that kind of love, you can, you can find that anywhere. Like, don't come to church for that kind of love. Just join, join a political party and go to their conventions. Go be on a sports team. Go, go join a hobby club somewhere. Just, you can find that sort of love anywhere in this world. Go, go live with the hippies in Oregon. No, that's distorted love. Jesus calls us to divine love. Let's think a little bit more about the verse in the Old Testament that they are distorting. Leviticus 19, 18 is the verse that they were misquoting. But again, what does that verse say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the focus and the the point of that verse is on the quality of love. It's not on your neighbor. It's not love your neighbor as yourself. It's love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and, and the point is that we all love ourselves. No one needs to tell you to love yourself more. You love yourself with an extreme love, right? You, when you're hungry, you feed yourself. When you're thirsty, you get a drink. When you don't like the way you look, you do your hair. You, you, you take care of yourself. You love yourself. You care about yourself. You're saying love your neighbor with the same amount of interest that you love yourself with already. There's a quality of love there that he's calling us to. Now, of course, in Jesus' day, maybe they heard this teaching. And, and so at one point in the ministry, they tested him and they, and they said, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Who's my neighbor? Who, who, who do I need to love that way? Right? There's this, there's this tendency in us that we want to restrict. Who do we need to do that to? That's hard, right? It's hard, it's hard to love someone as we love ourselves. That requires sacrifice. It requires intentionality. It requires time. And, and so who's my neighbor, and what does Jesus do? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and we're not going to go into the story, but, but his point is, is someone that you guys hate is your neighbor. This, this, this person that you're hostile to, and that's hostile to you, that's, that's your neighbor. And, then, and, and we see it clear here. He says, love your enemies. Verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What is Jesus doing there? Obviously, he's correcting their teaching, which said, hate your enemy, he's saying, no, don't hate your enemy, love your enemies. But he's also defining neighbor here, right? He's defining who a neighbor is. And here's a neighbor, e- even your enemy. And, and, and if your enemy can be your neighbor, then everyone is your neighbor. Right? I mean, I mean if, if, if someone that hates you is someone that you're called to consider a neighbor, then who does, who, who does not fit into that category then? Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself, and, and by neighbor, I mean anybody that you have the chance to love. He's widening the scope as far as it can, and he's, and he's showing that it's an indiscriminate love. It's an impartial love. It's a love that doesn't decide who gets my love and who doesn't get my love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then, and then, really, he, he, he gets to this, verse 45 so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Divine love is is the love of the the Father. He he says love like God loves. Love like God loves. When he says that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, he's not saying that you need to to love well enough that God will make you his son. No, he's, he's saying love in a way that shows that you're one of his children. God, this, is, this is who God is. And you want people to look at your life and say, He looks like His Father. He looks like His Father. And here's how God loves. Look at verse 45. For He makes His son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is a description of the Father's love. This is how God loves. God blesses all people. God sends rain on all people. God brings sunny days on all people. These are both expressions of his common grace. God doesn't just send rain on the lawns of believers to have the grass grow, and sometimes I wish the grass didn't grow so fast, but, but he, he doesn't just bless believers, right? He, 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 he gives common grace to all men, even the evil ones, even the ones who have sinned against him, even the ones who rejected him. And, and of course, we, we realize as we say that, well, that's, that's actually all of us, right? But this is, this is the love of God, the love of God that, that responds to human sin, responds to human rebellion, and responds to human rejection with grace and with blessing and with love. And Jesus says love like this. This, this is divine love. This is love I'm calling you to have. A love even for your enemies. A love, a love that is selfless, a love that looks like his love. So how could we define divine love then? We looked at distorted love, which is a self-oriented love that demands to receive. What is divine love? Divine love is an others-oriented love that delights to give. It's an others-oriented love that delights to give. It's the kind of love Jesus calls us to, a love that is focused on the other and finds joy in giving to the other, sacrificing to the other, no, no matter who it is, no matter what they've done, no matter what they deserve. It's, it's, it's a love that delights to give. And we see this in the very heart of God, and we see this when he sends rain on the evil and on the good, sun on the just and on the unjust. Distorted love and divine love I want to ask you this morning, which type of love most characterizes your life? Which type of love most characterizes your life? Think about the people you love and ask, what's motivating that love? Why am I loving these people? Think about the people that you don't love and ask, why why aren't I loving them? Ask yourself, am I demanding to receive or am I I someone who delights to give? Am I someone who delights to lay myself down for someone else? Jesus calls us to divine love. The second question I want to ask this morning is this, what are the rewards of distorted love and divine love? It's interesting that while Jesus calls us to selflessness, he doesn't call us to have no self-interest in the gospel. So, so Jesus will say that we need to lose our lives, but why does he say that? So that we can find our lives. right? So Jesus knows and God designed us this way that, that we do um, act for our good. And that's not in itself a a bad thing, but we see it here, right? Because we're, we're called not to love in a self-oriented, self-serving way. And yet in verse 46, he asks this question, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And you might, you, I mean, someone might say, well, we're not supposed to love for rewards, right? Like it's like, no, no, Jesus, Jesus is, is not a contradiction. Jesus is, is appealing to our, our nature that we, we want life. <laughs> we, want, we want joy which God has put in us, and he's, and he's saying here's the path to real joy. You're taking the distorted path, but here's the path to real joy. Right? So, so if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Let's just ask ourselves that question. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you have a distorted love that only loves those who love you, what reward do you have? Listen, here's the reward that you might have. You might have a comfortable life. Like, loving those who love you generally makes for a fairly comfortable life. You're, it's, it's, it's easy, right? The reward of easy relationships, the reward of good times with your friends. I mean, if you, if you just love those who love you, then, then it's possible, not guaranteed, but it's possible that you'll have a nice, comfortable, easy life with some good friendships and good relationships. Though even there, how, how long are those going to last? How long are those going to last? If you love those who love you, you realize that eventually everyone's going to let you down because none of us none of us, love each other perfectly. And so if you only love those who love you, there's going to come a day when that person who you thought loved you, they don't love you well. And what are you going to do then? Are you going to be bitter? Are you going to reject them? Are you going to stop loving them because they don't love you anymore? And then what are you left with? The longer you live, you're going you're, you're to be left alone and cold. So you've even, even the temporal rewards might not even last in this life. But then most seriously, once you die, when the day comes, when you, you've lived a life of easy love, you've lived a life of loving those who love you, you've lived a life of loving those who are like you, and, and then comes the moment you die, and what reward do you have? You have no reward. There is no reward for living this way. Your life will have counted for nothing. And there is only condemnation. If you live a life of loving those who love you, loving those who are like you, loving those who it's easy to love, there's nothing eternally for you. There is no reward. There's only condemnation. Yet divine love, what is the reward? What is the reward for divine love? What is the reward for loving your enemies? What is the reward for loving like God loves? What is the reward for loving your neighbor as yourself? And listen, in this life, it might make your life harder. It'll make for a less comfortable life. It'll make for some more difficult relationships. It will, it will call you to make sacrifices. It will call you to, to have less, to, to spend time on yourself less. It's, it's going to be hard. It's going to call you to to be in a relationship with people that you'd rather in your flesh just walk away from. And yet divine love will lead to an eternal reward. And we saw that reward back in the Beatitudes. Whenever Jesus says, what reward do you have? Think of the Beatitudes, because there's the rewards. The kingdom of God. The comfort of forgiveness. The inheritance of heaven. Adoption as sons. Seeing God. Being satisfied. These are the rewards that God gives to his people. And this is the reward that will come to those who spend a life of loving others in an others-oriented way because we delight to give, loving like God loves, loving our enemies. This is the reward that Jesus holds out to us. And and it's clear that Jesus is motivating us here. He He wants you to ask yourself, what reward will I receive at the end of my life? Ask yourself that this morning. What reward will you receive at the end of your life if what Jesus says here is true? What will your life amount to? What will all your love amount to? We are called out of distorted love to a divine love. Divine love has an eternal reward in the kingdom of God, and yet here's the problem, is that we aren't like this. <laughs> like, like, that sounds great and good, and I want to do that, but we aren't, we aren't like that. That's, that's not who we are. We, we are sinners. We naturally have this distorted love. So how can we, third question today, how can we cultivate divine love? How can we get this in our lives? How can we, how can we love like this? And the big answer to that question, how can we cultivate divine love? Only by experiencing divine love. Only by experiencing it for ourselves. And so I want to give three applications on this specific point of how how can we cultivate divine love. We need to experience it for ourselves, which begins, one, with recognizing God's love. You need to take time to recognize God's love in your life. And I want to begin where Jesus begins, with common grace. Common grace, rain and sun. Look at all the expressions of God's love for you. Do you realize that every blessing in your life is an expression of God's love for you? So what are the blessings? What what good things has God given you? Shelter. Food, family, jobs, relationships, son, health, whatever it might be. There's so much we could, we, could, we could think on there, but these are all, Jesus is saying, these are all expressions of the Father's love for you. Every good thing, you should, should say to yourself, God is loving me, My fa- the Father is loving me in this. Now the problem is, See, 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 why don't we, why isn't that enough? Why why don't we see all these expressions and say, okay, so I'm going to love like that. Why isn't that enough? And and, and this is where sin and its distorted effects in our lives becomes clear because the problem is that not one person has ever truly rightly recognized the love of God in these things. Romans tells us that, that God makes himself known, and he makes his kindnesses known to us, and these kindnesses are meant to lead us to repentance, and yet what do we do? We reject God still. God showers us with love, and, and we respond with ingratitude, and with idolatry, and we reject his love. We, we have all rejected God's expressions of love and common grace in our lives. No one, no one looks at their life and says, God has blessed me so much, I'm going to live for him now. No, we reject it. And here's what I want to ask. How, how did God respond to our rejection of his love and common grace? How did God respond? And, and, and here's how he responded. He didn't just give us rain. He didn't just give us his... His sunshine on a beautiful day, but John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Life. God has given us so much more than common grace. When we rejected His expressions of love in common grace, God, in, in saving grace, sent His Son into the world to die on the cross for the sins of all who would believe in Him, that we would not perish but have eternal life. And this is while we were sinners. This is while we were enemies. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's divine love. That's God's love. That's the kind of love God has. He doesn't just send rain on sinners. He sent his son for sinners to die on the cross for sinners. This is God's love. This is love we need to recognize. This love we need to see this morning. This is the love of God. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His only Son into the world so that we might live. And this is love that God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath satisfying sacrifice for our sins, that we might live through Him. Recognize God's love this morning. Recognize the divine love that is made known to us through the Word of God and in Jesus Christ. But then secondly, you need to receive this love. You need to receive this love. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is such an important passage to understand the work of love in and through our hearts. Verses 36 through 50 is what we're reading here. Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now listen to what he said at the end of that passage. He who has forgiven little, loves little. Vice versa, he who has forgiven much, loves much. So listen, it's one thing to see, it's one thing to recognize in your mind the love of God, just to say, yes, okay, God, God loves me and his expressions of grace in my life. He supremely loves me and giving his son to be my savior. But, but listen, you can recognize that in your mind. And yet, why aren't you loving more? Why, why aren't you loving people differently if you recognize that? And, and here's why. Because you aren't personally grasping forgiveness. You you aren't personally seeing in your own heart, not just in your mind, but in your heart, how much God has forgiven you. Because he who is forgiven much, loves much. And, and, And that's the prescription right there. If you aren't loving much, then either you don't know God's forgiveness, or you're forgetting his forgiveness. If you're not loving much, then you're not grasping the heart of the cross. You're not not personally reckoning with the cross and the fact that it was your sins that Jesus died for. He's not just the Savior from sins, but like Paul said, he loved me and gave himself for me. He's forgiven much, loves much. And so if you don't see divine love in your life, not only do you need to recognize God's love, but you need to receive it by coming and, and confessing your sins to the Lord, confessing your iniquities, confessing that you don't deserve His love, and personally working out your salvation at the cross before the Lord until you come to a confidence by faith that you are forgiven, that you've been forgiven. And that God loves you and gave his son for you. And what will happen is you will love much. You will love much. And so if, church, I just can't highlight this enough. I can't emphasize this enough. If you don't see the kind of love that you need to see in your life, deal with the Lord before the cross with your own sins. He who's forgiven much will love much. He who's forgiven little will love little Have you been forgiven much? Do you sense that this morning? Have you been forgiven much? Until you feel that, get before the Lord. Get before the cross and ask God, Lord, help me see how much you have forgiven me and receive God's love. Then third, respond. Respond to God's love. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, so that you would, your love would look like God's love. That, that's what we want. That's what we need to have. And so if you're recognizing His love and you're receiving His love, then respond to God's love and let that response be as practical and intentional as you can make it. Does your life reflect the love of the Father? Can someone look at your life and say that his life looks like God? That, that looks like, that he, that he looks like God in the way he loves people. Can someone say that about you? How should you respond? Let's just get practical. How should you respond to someone who doesn't pursue you? Okay, I know they exist. There are people in this room that have never pursued you. They've never gotten to know you. They've never, they've never taken an interest in you. How should you respond to that person if you love with divine love? You pursue them. You go to them. You move toward them and you love them. How should you respond to the person who's different from you? The person you just have nothing in common with, the person who it's awkward to try to get through a conversation with because you have nothing in common and just everything's different. How should you respond to that person? You go to them and you you build a relationship and you you incarnate the love of God in that relationship and you learn to to love what they love and you, you, you become all things to all people. You pursue them. How should you respond to the person who has sinned against you? You forgive them and you bless them and you serve them and you pursue them. how should you respond to the person who hates you, to those who persecute you. You pray for them. Right? Just pray for those who persecute. You pray for them. You pray that God would save them. You pray that God would bless them. And then, and then from praying, as God works in your heart, as you pray, you again, you move toward them. Love intentionally moves toward the other. And there's no one that you should not intentionally be moving toward because they don't love you back, because they're not like you, because it's too difficult. No, this is the love of God. This is divine love. We move toward the ones that do not love us back. We move toward the ones that are not like us. We move toward the ones who have sinned against us. We move toward the ones who hate us and persecute us. We move toward these people because God in Christ has moved toward us while we were sinners and died for us. Church, if we love like this, here's what John says will happen. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that God, God is invisible, right? He's spirit. No one can see God when they come to Redeemer Church. No one say, oh, there's God over there in the corner. No. But if we love each other like this, he says, they see him. They see him in our love. They see Him in our pursuit. They see Him in our sacrifice. They see Him in our moving toward each other and our delight to give to each other. What a wonderful and amazing thing that we are called to, church, that we get to incarnate the love of God here together as a body. The last verse of this passage in Matthew says this, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did anyone else ever read that verse and kind of scares you a little bit, right? Perfect. We hear perfect and think, that can't mean perfect, right? Like, translational issue, probably. No, that's what it means. That is what it means. It means perfect. And let me remind you that this is not the only passage in Scripture like this. You shall be holy, for I am holy. You think perfection is hard? Try holiness. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Yeah, just be like God. Right, so so this is the call. This is is the call of Scripture. This is is the call of Jesus here to his disciples. This is is what we are called to pursue. We'll never arrive in this life. He's not calling us to arrive there, but we are called to pursue it. called to pursue the perfect character of God. And and really, you think about all these commandments. That is is what it's all about, isn't it? All these commandments, it's really about, this, this is who God is, and be like him. And you know what? The very essence and center of who God is? is God is love. God is love. He is a loving God, a loving and holy God. And so I want to ask this how, how should we pursue this perfection? Like, what, what is our path to pursue this perfection that God has, our Father has? Is it by keeping a list of rules? Is it by keeping a bunch of laws? So, by keeping do's and don'ts? And the answer is clearly no. That's, that's not the path. The path is not just to, to keep rules and try to be perfect in our own strength. No, here's, here's the path by recognizing and receiving and responding to His love. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect by recognizing and receiving and responding to His love which has been supremely demonstrated in the cross of Christ, and live there. You live there every day of your life. You dwell there. You meditate there until you are moved by your Father's love to love like Him. Pray that the Lord would form us as His children as we keep our eyes on His love. Let me pray for us.